Hey, this is a Hakawadi production. My guest today is the founder and CEO of one of the top PR firms in the Middle East, with clients like Versace, Messica, Valentino, Charlotte Tilbury, and Jagère Lecoultre. Z7 Communications has established itself as a go-to agency for luxury brands. But what's happening with all those luxury brands? Are they somewhat less relevant now that we're facing a global economic downturn and people are fearing for their jobs and even their lives in the face of the pandemic? Do we still care as much about $5,000 watches or $1,000 cashmere sweaters from MrPorter.com, which by the way is one of Z7's clients? And what about influencers? Is it business as usual? Joining us from Z7's swanky new digs in the Dubai Design District to help us figure out what's happening in the business of selling luxury, please welcome Zena Eldana. Hey Zena, thanks for being with us. Hey Nadia, thank you so much for inviting me to your podcast. I'm very, very happy to be with you today. Cool, awesome. So why Z7, by the way? Obviously the Z, Zena. What about the seven? <laughs> yes, exactly. So Z, Zena and seven corresponds to 2007, which is the year where I launched uh, Z7. And also as a number is, is a very holistic number. So it's kind of one of my favorite numbers. So it's kind of worked out very well in both ways. Yeah, I love seven too. Seven's the best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it seems like it brought you luck too. Yes, exactly. And we just celebrated our 13-year anniversary in September, so just last month. So um, it's amazing how it's like 13 years already. It's just time flies. Wow, incredible. So I wanted to ask you this because I've been having this conversation with some of my friends. Are influencers dead? I mean, do they, what I mean by that is, do they still have the same power that they once had, you know, over the last few years? Right. So I don't think they're dead. Um, and I think they're far away from that. I think the industry in general has had to have some adjustments, especially with what, how things have been uh, evolving over the past few months with COVID and how, um, you know, how we are all seeking genuine and authentic authentic content in general. So yes, I'm sure the influencer marketing industry has been affected with the crisis that we're, we're living at the moment, but uh, we do see that this is an industry that's going to grow again and maybe with different direction, but it's here to stay. It's not going anywhere. Um, we There are many ways of engaging with influencers. And what I've noticed personally over the past few months is that influencers who depend on um, their own story and who have genuine content that they're sharing, they have been way more relevant than other influencers who have just been posting content that was offered or provided to them. Obviously, in general, it's more, it's, it's a more kind of challenging to find content when you can't do much or when you can't go out of the house. So I think some people, uh, some influencers manage to find their message and kind of, uh, They've attracted different kind of uh, followers, I think, over the past uh, period of time. What portion of your PR strategy would you say is working with influencers? You have all these big luxury brands. Is it a big part of, of your strategy? Well, it varies from client to client, but I would say at least 40%. Wow. And yes, it depends. Yeah, and it depends on the brand. And we always 
work with uh, influencers that kind of resonate to the image and the DNA of the brand. So obviously each brand has different target markets and we work with different influencers. For us, influencers also could be just influentials like um, key opinion leaders as well. So we like to have a nice mix of different, you know, different people with different personalities and different kind of reach and circles. What did you call them? What kind of openers? Key opinion leaders, KOLs. Oh, I don't know what that means. So I would say key opinion leaders are people from different industries, leaders in their own fields, um, who basically are influencers in their own know-how and the field that they work in. So they could be designers, they could be, um, you know, restaurateurs, you could be chefs, they could be interior designers, you know, different different people. And they could be just uh, people who are very artistic and they, they provide through their social media, they provide information and educational tools for for their followers and their friends. All right. So let's set the record straight, though, before we go any further. What is the actual role of a PR firm from your perspective? Okay, so we're here to tell a story. This is our main um, main role. We are here to tell the story of a brand. We are here to tell you why a brand is what it is, what is, what is special about it, why you would like it, and what it can br- bring to you. Um, this is kind of the general role of a PR agency. At the same time, we're connectors. So we connect our brands to their target audience. We connect our brands to, to the culture, to be more relevant to this part of the world through telling their story, obviously. So the, telling the story is the, main, uh, is the main component of what we do. Um, so as well as creating content, it's very important. With everything we do, it's all about the content we create to, to tell the story. So this, in a nutshell, is what really PR is about. Obviously, from a client perspective, they, ha- they want to definitely achieve two things. One is creating awareness about the brand and what they do and what they stand for, but also they want to achieve sales. So through all the activities that we organize for them from our 360-degree approach to PR and event and content creation and everything we do, we will be able to achieve their goals of raising their awareness awareness about the brand as well as achieving sales. So would an agency like Z7 be involved at all with the corporate strategy when it comes to marketing and communications or do they already have it defined and then they reach out to you? It depends on the brand, but mostly corporate strategy. It, From our perspective, it involves, let's say, uh, the involvement or the awareness that we would create about a CEO of the company or um, from a, you know, from a corporate side of things. But in terms of corporate and lifestyle PR, which we, which is what we do, is is a bit different in terms of approach. And usually they do tend to have corporate covered internally and they come to us. If it's a brand, a luxury brand, a fashion, a beauty and lifestyle, they would come to us to take care of the lifestyle PR of, of things. So would you, for example, so if an international brand comes to you, would you advise them on advertising in the region and all that? Or is that also like a separate agency? No, that's something we've always done for our clients, even though we don't do advertising ourselves. Even now, like we are getting requests for advertising and we do it on a case-by-case basis that we're not an advertising agency. However, we've always advised our clients on where they should be and what are the best mediums for them to 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 advertise in and platforms. These brands, are they still investing? This is a question uh, that comes after I've just interviewed the editor-in-chief of uh, GQ magazine. Are, are the brands still investing in print a lot? Because you say 40% influencers. How would the rest of their budgets like split up? I would say um, in general, budgets have changed a lot 
this year they've been cut, especially the past, uh, you know, since the COVID crisis hit, um, the, hit us all. Um, so I would say in general, they do have a very kind of a balanced kind of approach to where they advertise, whether it's online or print or through social media and um, other mediums that they use, like outdoor advertising and things like that. So I, I, from what I've seen, there's definitely still budget for print. It's just they're focusing on the most important titles that they that are the most relevant to them, that gives them the most exposure and titles that can offer them print, online, and digital exposure. And as well, of course, when things are normal and we can host events again as well, titles that can you know host as well events with them yeah. and bring them um, different you know new potential kind of um, clients or connections and things like that definitely want to talk about events in a second but um how do you tailor uh, an international brand for the middle eastern market is are there any like specific uh, rules that you always start with or is it really a case by case uh, basis uh, rules in what sense? Like, like um, you know, are there certain things that you immediately want to do differently for this market than maybe they're doing in other parts of the world? Like, for example, uh, right. someone mm. told me recently, it was a, a, someone who worked with, the, with Shiseido, and they were talking about how different the market is here than in Asia, for example, because in Asia, you know, bronzing powder would, is definitely not a thing, whereas in the Middle East, everyone wants to be tan. So, that's one thing. It's like in the makeup industry, this is like a given. So I'm just wondering if in these luxury brands that you represent, which are a lot of them are like watch brands, jewelry brands, are there certain things that are specific to the Middle East market? Um, in general, I think the most important thing is the relevance to this market. So in the past, brands would come here and they would bring their international you know, products and just have them adapted to this market in a general way. Or maybe from that time to time, they would create capsule collections and things like that. But not really, they were not as engaged as they should be maybe from the past. Because this market, especially Dubai, is a very international market. And you have lots of tourists, you have the, you have the local consumer. Um, now more than ever, there's a shift in focusing on the local consumer. And this has been happening over the past four or five years and increasingly so over the past two, three years, uh, whereby brands are looking to create this connection with the local consumer and maybe create collaborations with, let's say, local designers or local talent to, to create a capsule collection or create an artwork or to do an event jointly and promoting the culture locally as well as their brand together. And that's something that has been, you know, more and more increasingly, um, I, I see more and more many examples that are really um, uh, well thought of and uh, more concerned to be connected to this part of the world. Can you give us an example of one of the brands you work with that's done this? Yes, um, from the top of my head, I'll give you just generally, let's say, um, a brand collaborated with a center for uh, children with special needs, and they basically asked them to, to create drawings for their shoeboxes. So there's a center here that does, um, that have, um, you know, a group of kids and they look after them and they have an art artistic skills. So they've asked them to actually make drawing for these boxes and um, the boxes were used for, for the shoe collection and the proceeds of the shoe sales went back to this organization to support, um, to support them. And it was such a beautiful collaboration. This is one example. Um, another example would be uh, a brand collaborating with 
um, like a home brand collaborating with um, like a jewelry designer uh, and calligrapher and asked her to, let's say, create a special writing for some of their pieces. And they sold it in collaboration with that designer in, in their stores. So there are many examples like that. Um, more simpler ones are just creating some collection that's really relevant to this part of the world, to the taste of the local consumer. And they've created, created this collection exclusively in certain colors and certain material just for the local consumer. And they would host like dinners with the designers and just, you know, host and get closer to the local consumer by meeting them and getting to know their taste better and doing something special for them. Yeah, I, I've noticed that brands are doing that a lot, collaborating with uh, local artists and um, organizations. But let me ask you this. People are worried right now about losing their jobs um, or they've already lost them. People are worried that the world is in you know, serious trouble. They're worried about the, you know, catching COVID. And I think that with all of these things, there's like a, a global shift in um, sensibility and, and of things that people feel really matter in terms of, of their values and stuff. So have you noticed that? And have you noticed a change from the brands on how they're marketing their products? And does this affect also how you're doing business and approaching the campaigns that you work on? Right. So what I've noticed uh, during COVID is brands who usually would, especially brands we work with, because I'm, I'm working closer with them, um, and we, we discuss the strategy uh, much much more detail together. But some of the brands we were working we were working with, um, they were very careful in how to communicate during COVID. Let's say if it's a brand that sending emails, okay, this is our new collection, we suggest these items to you, they really kind of went away from the commercial approach and focused more on the well-being. And I'm sure you've seen this everywhere and in few brands. Like some brands were silent, they didn't do anything. And some brands were really kind of uh, taking the role of what can we do to entertain you at home? What can we do to add to your culture? What can we do to um, show you or educate you on how to take care of your skin or your well-being? What can we do to help you with um, mental health and issues like that? And I think this approach was uh, created a kind of um, a new bond with with a consumer and a, a new connection that basically went deeper a level for from uh, what I've seen. Now I think the situation, we are in a, in a better situation in general in terms of retail, in terms of uh, purchase, purchasing, especially in this part of the world. We could see movement, we see things picking up, and we see people definitely uh, shopping, but maybe more with a conscious mind thinking, do I really need this piece or not? And maybe thinking maybe twice before purchasing something. But we see movement, especially here in this in the GCC, we see movement in terms of purchase power. And we see that our brands are doing well um, and things are picking up nicely overall. Though I understand, yes, in other parts of the world is different uh, situations, but my expertise and what I see is what's happening here. And what I've been seeing, noticing is there has been definitely a pickup uh, since, um, you know, summertime. It's interesting that you say that because there is this kind of trope from the West that that people in the Middle East have, you know, more spending power and they spend more on luxury things than, you know, maybe the average European or the average, uh, you know, American or Canadian for sure. Mm. Um, so it seems based on what you're saying that there's some truth to that. So, but have you noticed any like a reduction. I mean, obviously there's been a reduction in, in the amount of mm. luxury that people are buying. And 
you said it's coming back up. Is it back to pre-COVID levels yet? Or is it still kind of um, not, not the same as it was before? I think what what we've seen is depending on the brand, some brands have beauty and some brands the brands have you know a mix of fashion, beauty, and accessories and you know different product categories. And we've seen definitely a pickup in um, skincare, hair care, um, anything to take care of ourselves in general. That has uh, seen a lot of pickup. We've also seen pickup with. With interior, home interiors, many people focus on their homes and made adjustments, even in small accessories or pieces that they've added to their space because they they felt the importance of having, you know, a beautiful kind of serene space, uh, especially when they spend so much time in ho- at homes. Um, is it really back to normal? I, I don't have all the numbers to share with you, but I know that things are picking up. How much and and how which level it's reached, I think... It's it's irrelevant to the brand and what they're offering and how the, the product that they're offering is resonating with the consumer, also from a price point as well. Yeah. So, um, but I know some brands I've heard, they've, they've done, you know, their months last month, it was even better than last year. Also, I don't know, There are there's a mix and it really depends on the brand and what they're offering. Yeah. But I've heard mix, mix uh, feedback, to be honest. Yeah, so. but that makes sense. Uh, skincare and, yeah. and self-care and home products. Um, so... How many? How big is Z7 now? How many people do you have on the team? We're around 30, uh, a team of 30. Oh, that's pretty good. That's really good for a PR firm, if you, if you th- think about it. I, I don't know if you're one of the bigger ones. I would imagine you are. Uh, are you? <laughs> <laughs> in the lifestyle, we are among, yeah, we are among the leading in, uh, in luxury lifestyle um, and hospitality PR. So you founded it in 2007. Um, you'd worked yes. in the business before. What do you think that it is that you've done uh, that has made it a successful project and brought you to where you are today? So if, if I were to look at now, what is it that makes us different or what is it that we're, we do differently to kind of um, position us the way we are? It's, I would give a lot of credit to the team. And I would always say the biggest challenge for me since I founded that 7 was finding the right talent and the biggest success that I have right now <laughs> in terms of uh, success factors is having the wonderful, the wonderful team that we have currently um, at Z7. So it's very important to have a very kind of multi-talented team with different nationality, different cultures, and making sure, you know, everyone brings different skills to the team. The team spirit is very important. So definitely that has been a very important factor in the success of the, the agency. Um, other than that, I think we've been very transparent in the way we do business. We're constantly evolving and changing. We've always uh, promised and delivered, and this has been something that we've been very adamant to. So as a PR, um, even sometimes, you know, PR has different connotations for us. It has been very much where we only do what we feel comfortable and what we can really deliver and excel at with our clients. And that has been, you know, um, you know, it helped us stay where we are and have the reputation that we have in the market. Yeah. So, so no bullshit, basically, is what you're telling me, because I'm sure a lot of PR people yeah. tell their new clients like, oh, yeah, we're going to do this and that. And then they never come through. So I think and I think that's really a PR thing, because I, I, I think, feel like I've seen that happen. So it sounds like that's not the right way to go to approach it. Um, but I know you have a beautiful new space also. Congratulations, along with Thank this uh, anniversary. Uh, what a nice way to celebrate. It looks beautiful. Um, how important is office space, do you think, 
for the performance and overall energy of, of a team. Right. So now I can speak from experience. So when you ask someone working at G7, it's like, why are you working at G7? Do you enjoy working there? And they tell you, yes, we love working here. And the team spirit is super important. They love working together. They love being part of the same team. And they just generally really have a great connection. And the vibe and the atmosphere is very, very empowering and very positive. So that's who we are in a nutshell. So during COVID, where it was very easy for us to work from home, obviously we have all the systems in place. Our clients are, many clients of ours are based out of Dubai. So we we're used to kind of having meetings with them over Zoom or even phone calls or conference calls, maybe more conference calls, less Zoom, and now become definitely more Zoom. So we were very agile in terms of working from home and the team was super efficient to, to work from home and very fast to kind of uh, uh, convert to that. However, what I felt is like when the team is working from home and not meeting together, we do lose something. And it's very difficult to maintain this kind of culture with having the team working each from, you know, from their houses and not being together. So since things started opening up here and with all the measures that we have, the safety measures that we have and social distancing and everything that has been implemented by the government here um, with, the, with the offices allowed to open and all of that, so we basically are back to work from the office. Um, however, we're, we've always had flexibility. So even from before COVID, we've always offered flexibility to team members. We've always had um, a day or two per month where they can work from home. So we were testing this for since last year and uh, we, we, we want to offer this kind of flexibility and we're very empowering as well to and supportive of women and mothers. And so we've always had a very flexible culture and approach to how we we deal with team and with our team and teamwork. And now more and more than so, so we offer that flexibility still to the team. Like during summertime, the team had the the option of working from home or working from the office. So up to the description discretion. And we decided collectively together that from September we'd be back to the office and taking the all safety measures possible. Um, and we are doing, let's say, a flexible four days a week and one day they can work from home. So if they wish to. So we're still uh, keeping that flexible element there. And obviously with COVID, you have to be super flexible if anyone is exposed to someone with COVID or anything like that. So well, the flexibility is 100% there. But um, it's much... Any cases in your office? We've had cases in the past, yes. Oh, wow. But they were not in the office. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we they were not in the office. We had a case when actually we were moving offices, but during that week no one was working from the office as well, so that was fine. And then we had a case a couple of months ago where only a few people were at the office and everybody got tested after that, and um, they were negative. So. Yeah, we follow the protocols as we should, basically. Very good. Well, but you talk about how it's so much uh, nicer to work in, you know, in the office together when you're working with a team rather than to do it virtually on Zoom. I mean, we've really come a long way, I think, with Zoom as as a planet, like the way people are using it. But <laughs> it's it's definitely not the same. And this must be very true as well for you. It must be really challenging for people in PR right now to not be able to do all these real events. I mean, is there any way that uh, like a Zoom event or virtual event can compete with like, you know, a fabulous dinner with decorations and everyone's glammed out? I mean, is how do you how do you do without those? And what if you can never have them again? Isn't this like really bad for PR? I think compete definitely it competes in terms of do we have the same feeling and touch and smells and the details and all of that. 
definitely it's not the same. But considering the situation, we're all trying to be innovative in the, in the way we do things. So yes, we've done uh, launches of beauty products, of jewelry collections, of watch collections via kind of a, like, you know, Zoom or digital, let's say, digital um, presentations. And I think we're, we're witnessing now the evolution of, of these kind of, kind of opportunities whereby we can be more and more creative in the way we do a digital event. And that's an area where so much creativity is, is happening. And I think it's an area that's going to be the, I don't know, it's a very interesting area where creativity will really showcase all the new technologies that we have, the um, virtual reality that we can utilize um, and I think it's another level of events that we're going to see over the coming months. Um, we just need to see budgets increasing with that because for, for these kind of events to happen on this level of creativity and investment in technology, I think it would require bigger budgets than just having you know a Zoom presentation with someone or yeah. a designer presenting a collection. So it's a very different ballgame. For that to happen, I think people would really need to, brands would need to realize definitely like, that for now, let's say, we're going to forget about events for the coming year. And then I think they'll be more ready to invest. But we are receiving requests for events. And the changes in that, for example, would be... And we, we actually did host an event two weeks ago. Um, usually we would host an event for, let's say, a number of hours and invite everyone together. But this time we did smaller sessions of six people with social distancing, with masks, with all the safety measures. And it was really amazing because it was... A beautiful experience by itself and that was a, a great success for example but the format is different and instead of having it over one day you spread it over three days um, so there are ways of doing events but in a very different way it's going to be much more smaller scale I think maybe smaller budget because then also you, you won't be able to have the same impact of one big event and one big boom but um, the format of the events can be altered to accommodate all the restrictions that we have. Um, and eventually things will evolve and we'll see how that goes. But at the same time, we should also explore opportunities on the digital way in the digital world of events. And that's something I think that's going to be very interesting to see. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned VR, like the, the possibilities really are endless, I guess, if you're willing yeah. to go down that tech road. But what are the key measures of a successful communication strategy or campaign? How do you guys set your targets? So definitely in terms of quality, it's how we as an agency kind of set our standards. So it's not about how many people attend an event and how many, it's, it's really the quality of the people that we invite and what they can bring to the table. Um, it's the coverage, which, you know, from a traditional point of view, is still very important, whether it's print or online, that's another way of seeing how, you know, the presence of that launch or the brand uh, for on that occasion uh, in the print and uh, online world. In terms of social media as well, the buzz that you create and the, the reach that you that you can see through the everyone that you invite from influencers to to press to guests press are become themselves influencers and in, uh, in their own way uh, in a very natural way because of the just the type of people who follow them as well and uh, their kind of circles so it's I would say these are the ways and from a client perspective if they were doing launch for a specific product they they do see the um, the impact in, in their sales as well. Yeah. So what are some of the key things you have to do consistently to be successful as a PR firm? 
I think change and evolution. You just have to always question yourself. And this is has this has been our way from way before. Whenever we're doing things, you just can't be comfortable in that moment. You do things and you question, how can we do these things better? How can we do things better? It's about listening to feedback and getting feedback from clients, from from the from the people around us and seeing how we can do things better uh, or differently, not necessarily better. Um, and just making sure that you're always relevant. It's a digital, the digital world, you know, everything through, through COVID, everything has been literally fast forward with the e-commerce and everything else. And the same thing with PR. If you're just doing, let's say, still focus on traditional PR or just coverage online and print and you're not doing collaboration, strategic alliances, events, content creation, digital marketing, I mean, the future is there. You can't just stay stand still. You, you need to keep evolving. I asked you what the secret to your success was. I think that's the answer right there. Um, and I think that's the <laughs> answer for any industry that anyone's in. You just have to constantly be questioning yourself and seeing how you can do things better or differently. So, Zena, not everyone can uh, outsource a PR service. Let's be honest. I'm sure you don't come cheap at Z7 Communications. Your excellent services don't come cheap. <laughs> so, And some startups and small businesses just simply cannot afford to hire a service like yours. So can you suggest a few things that startups or small businesses can do to build up their brand on their own? So basically for startups, I would say they, they I would suggest they would focus on the on the basics. And the basics is making sure that they have a clear brand identity, having a clear mission and vision, and really where who their target market is. This is a, I'm sure this is a basic thing that every brand will have to to work on independently of PR anyway. Then from a PR perspective, they need to start as well with looking at their, you know, on their Instagram, on their LinkedIn account, uh, communicate their corporate news on LinkedIn. And I think it's very important because I've been receiving lots of requests from friends of mine who've been in business for 10 years, but they've been so busy and they've always been doing things. And they would come to me as like, you know, what would you suggest that we do? And I think, and I tell them you're a B2B business. So just focus on making sure that you're communicating your achievements and what you're doing for your clients. And just many people just sometimes, you know, they forget about these things because they're busy with other things. But I think basics, uh, they should be very well covered. Um, making sure the website is extremely clear and the communication is clear. And these are the basics of at least having a clear brand identity. In terms of PR, here it depends on really what the brand is about. Um, let's say if we're talking about a brand that's launching, uh, let's say, a new accessories brand like bags or shoes or jewelry, let's say, and they don't have the budget to engage with the PR agency yet, I think they can start with their connections and with reaching out to the people they know and asking them to support on social media for the people who they feel that can support them and can create awareness about them and maybe start engaging themselves with press because it's it's a quite a small market here, you know, the publications, um, at least to start with the top 10 publications, start building that relationship. And then eventually when things pick up, they can always go for an agency and may choose an agency that can help them grow and grow together. We do take on clients who are startups. And if we believe in the product, we believe the brand and the founder, uh, we, we would support and we would grow together as well. So yes, uh, sometimes some agencies will not be able to 
to do things for certain rates, but at the same time, there's flexibility. And if we really believe in, in the brand, I think there's always way of working together. Well, it sounds like Z7 is a fun place to work and a fun, a great uh, firm to work with as a business. So I think those are all the things that are, have contributed to you uh, coming this far. And um, I wish you the best of luck. Thank you, Nadia. Thank you so much. And thank you for your trust and for for this opportunity. It's been great to, to share some of the know-how and, you know, the past experience, especially with the past months that have shown to be extremely interesting, I think, on a personal, on the business level. And I really hope everyone who's going through this tough times, that everyone is able to reflect and take this time to really understand things better or maybe clarify certain things for themselves and trust that everything is happening for a reason and then things will get better and we will overcome this. And I know it's easier said than done, but I believe having a positive kind of outlook and seeing that, you know, there's a reason why this is happening. And instead of saying, oh my God, this is terrible, I would say, it's okay, let's have a look and see what we can do the best we can during this period. And, you know, hard work, um, positive thinking, and just keep going and we'll, we'll get there. It's so true, though. This reset has been such a great opportunity um, on the positive side of taking a pause and thinking about how we can do everything better moving forward. So thank you yes. for, for reminding us of that. Absolutely. And thank you so much again. Well, thank you. That's it, my friends. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to click that subscribe button and I can't wait to see you again soon. Bye.